Live from Salt Lake City, Utah, this is Heart of the Matter. I'm Sean McCraney, your host, and we do all we can to try to worship God in spirit and truth. We pray he'll be with us tonight. In fact, let's pray. Father, we uh, pause and uh, unitedly lend our ear, our voice, our heart, our mind to you. We seek you. We want to walk with your presence. We pray you'll be with our uh, staff, our volunteers, the people in the audience here, people at home, people who watch on archives, that you'll just help us to understand truth, eternal truths that will go with us in our life here and, uh, and in beyond. So uh, be with us, Lord, and we thank you for this opportunity. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, knife to a gunfight if you're a Christian and you're seeking to know God in spirit and in truth, but are kind of confused sometimes about the modern evangelical approach to him. Uh, you might consider the book. We've prepared it in a number of ways for you to get access to it. First, you, of course, can get the paperback by going online to our store. Uh, you can get the paperback for free. All you got to do is say, I can't afford it, and you write us in uh, the email, which will come up on the screen, and we'll send you a copy. But uh, you can also get it on audiobook, and Seth has gone to a lot of trouble to uh, set that up. And so you can go to sleep to my voice, just what you want. Uh, it will help put you to sleep, I can guarantee you that, but it is free. So if you live overseas or something and, and the costs are high to mail these things, just uh, get online and, and do the audiobook. And then you also can get ebook, uh, and that's a nominal cost. Uh, you can do an ebook, all of it's through the website. Challenge it, t- ch- test the, the uh, uh, propositions in the book. Uh, they need consideration. They may be wrong, but there's some things in there that might be beneficial to you. We got an email from Jacques who said, Sean and Seth, this, uh, thank you for making the audio book Knife to a Gun available for free. Since I have no way to do e-commerce, it makes having access to this book via the free audio immensely helpful. So uh, just one of the emails we got on it and just grateful that it's available now. And uh, that's Knife to a Gunfight, Misinterpreting the Purpose and Place of the New Testament. Uh, Also, going to plug our verse-by-verse teaching of the New Testament. You can find that at www.campuschurch.tv. Presently, we're working our way through in the meet afternoon service uh, through the book of Revelation. We've had a three-part introductory uh, teaching, and we've done verses 1 and 2 of the book. Uh, This next week will be verses three and four. (laughs) Hopefully we'll speed it up a little bit more than that. And uh, you can watch all those by going to the archives at campuschurch.tv. And and instead of coming and teaching it from uh, Revelation, from one of the five positions, we're trying to kind of see if if all of those positions are viable and not just saying, we're going to teach it the futurist way, we're going to teach it the preterist, the historicist, whatever it is. Also at 10 a.m., our milk gathering. And uh, look, at if you don't have a church, no matter where you live, you can get online, you can join us live. Uh, all you need to do is tune in when you want, log in if you want, turn, tune out if you want. There's no obligation. Nothing's expected. We're here to try to serve uh, God by teaching His Word the best of our ability. And so we welcome you. We also uh, put the Word of God set to music and more and more people are starting to grasp the benefits of, of doing music this way. And without, you know, kind of obviously tooting the family horn, I want to share something with you about how I believe God has done this. Our oldest daughter, Mallory, and her sister's always been involved in music. 
And she graduated from a school in New York City in music. She's even taught musical theory to, to kids. And prior to knowing the Lord, one of the distinguishing characteristics of Mallory's music, because she's always been a musician, was, uh, and my daughters and I would talk about how her compositions uh, in the secular world were full of words. I mean, it was like reading a, a dictionary when you listen to her music. And, but it was good music. She wasn't like a hook songwriter where you, you know, we will rock you. There's, there weren't hooks to her songs. It was more the words just coming out. And uh, she, when she came to uh, know the Lord or receive the Lord, uh, I really believe God used that ability to just take words that don't rhyme and match and a skill that she had uh, nascently and then grew as a, as a person, as a musician, and was able to take the word of God and put it into musical form. Still not always easy because there, there does lack sometimes like an apparent obvious melody. But if you give the word a chance set to music, the funny thing about it is you begin to learn the word and you start to sing the word throughout your day. So we recommend it. It's available at HOTM.TV. Looks like we could get, could get a Mormon president after all. What they're talking about, apparently there's a movement afoot in the great state of Utah to write in the name of a uh, candidate. I learned how this works from Derek and have been passing it on to people. This is how it could possibly work from my understanding. Uh, Utah has become a swing state, meaning it could swing the election one way or another. And to win the nomination for president, Trump and or Clinton would have to garner 270 electoral votes. They have to have that many as at least, right? And if they don't get that, any person who has garnered at least one electoral vote gets thrown into the race as if they had, were right up there with Trump and Hillary. So what's happening in Utah is they are trying to elect a guy named McMullet. McMullen. I like McMullet better. Uh, they're trying to elect a guy named McMullen and they're going to write his name in. And if they can get him to get at least one electoral vote and Trump and Clinton cannot get at least 270, either of them, then McMullen will get on the ticket, so to speak, and then it will go to the House of Representatives, who they will gather together and they will decide who will be the next president, and it could be someone with just one. And if they don't like Trump and if they don't like Clinton, and what's the name of the guy, Derek? McMullen, Trevor McMullen. No, the other one. Oh, Paul Rand, he will be the guy who kind of heads up the house, and I guess he's going to have some sway, and I believe Paul Rand's LDS are in favor of that, so it could go to him. Now, over here, we have a very good, dutiful volunteer named Kathy Maggs, and she's over here angrily. I can hear it in her voice. Evan McMullen, Sean. Evan McMullen, because she's voting for him. She's going to write him in. You wouldn't believe come here sometime and visit. We've got someone who is like a Trumpster, mad dog Trumpster. We've got liberals over there pushing for Hillary. I've got mags in the cage gnashing out Evan McMullen. But we all get along. We realize we're going to differ on things, but we kind of do it and we smile and we love each other because we realize, you know, that's how uh, 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 life goes. But let me, I want to point something out here. I hope this doesn't bother the McMullen fan over there. Uh, but 
in the rare chance that this loophole could somehow work and McMullen could actually be nominated president of the United States, I want you to remember something. When Orrin Hatch and Romney were after the same goal through the normal channels, there was a very public denial against the LDS teaching, underground teaching, of a thing called the White Horse Prophecy. The LDS Church really went to a lot of trouble, or at least the members did, to say, there's no White Horse prof Prophecy. I remember Orrin Hatch getting on the radio here and saying, there's none, that's just hearsay, it's folklore, because the, the general public, if they heard about this White Horse Prophecy, probably would turn against the, the candidate and not vote for him just because they don't want to fulfill a Mormon prophecy. So they downplayed it, downplayed it, downplayed it. I guarantee you here and now that if McMullen gets through the back door, uh, we will hear Latter-day Saints around the world canonizing the White Horse pro prophecy. You get, mark my word, they will say, you see, we, the, the, the Constitution is hanging by a thread. Uh, Trump came in, it's by a thread. No, there's chaos. For the first time in American history, people just don't know what to do. We, and guess who rode in with God's providence and with just one electoral vote? That's the White Horse prophecy fulfilled. Uh, and that's how it works because the institution will always use what becomes acceptable to their advantage. I would guarantee you if for some reason Christianity discovered that Adam was God, if for some reason Christianity suddenly realized that through manuscript evidence and started saying that, the LDS would come back and they say Brigham Young taught it as doctrine, it's true, and we were the first. It's because it's not really what is, it's what favors the institution that you will always see come about. Got an interesting email from a guy named Joseph S., not Smith. And uh, it says, I have a serious question. I'm an inactive member of the Mormon Church. I left the church years ago and just avoid them like the plague. I've been a big fan of your show for years. Today I received an official envelope from the church. Inside was a plain black piece of paper like a piece of paper that had been colored uh, all over to make it black. Both sides, he says, it freaked me out. I'm not kidding. Can you call me or email me if you have any questions? So I called him and, and, and he, I said, send me what was sent to you. And so here's a picture. You probably can't see that too. Well. I don't have my glasses on, but up in the corner is an official, it's from a ward house or a stake. And that is the black paper that was sent to him. So I called him and and, and he said, you know, they have tried to reach out to me through uh, giving me food and, and, and being nice to me and making visits. And I just try to stay away from them completely. And then all of a sudden, I got this black, purposely colored by, by a marker piece of paper. What does it mean? Is that, is that a norm? First of all, it's not a norm from what I understand. Maybe somehow a copier got jammed up and colored the thing black and they just mailed it as a mass mailing and that's what he received, that's possible. Or maybe a local ward member just freaked out and tried to send him a nonverbal threat, like a, this is a threat, you're headed to outer darkness. Uh, but, or maybe this is a new way that the church is trying to in install fear in people who have left. Uh, but, 
you might think, well, that's really a stretch. The church doesn't do that. But all you need to do is read one of the letters that comes to you if you are deciding to leave the LDS church. And it's a threat. I mean, it's, you're losing your blessings. You're jeopardizing your eternal standing with God by making this decision. So that black piece of paper really is emblematic of a message they typically give in words. So I don't think it's that far-fetched. We're showing that because I'm curious if any of you have ever experienced something similar. I'd just like to know if you happen to have received a blackmail uh, of late. As an FYI, Matt Slick is going to be here from CARM next week, Tuesday, October 25th. Get your questions ready if you want to call in or submit something online or even in person. I'm hoping this is going to be more of an open conversation between the two of us where Matt and I can help dialogue about the Bible. Uh, that's what we're going to talk about. Uh, Matt is pretty ardent about certain things, Calvinism and stuff, but uh, I think he's a little bit more open about some of the ways that we be sort of worship the Bible as opposed to even maybe Christ sometimes. So uh, we're going to talk about the purpose and place of the Bible with Matt. If you have some questions next week on Heart of the Matter, I had a conversation with a man about a year ago or so. He was a preterist. He called me from New York and uh, he, I liked him and he had a lot of good ideas. I received an email from him. Here's part of it. You ready? Blessings in Christ. We have been developing a lot of exciting things within the preterist movement lately. If you are on social media, you have probably been keeping up. However, this emails for you who are not Facebook savvy. We have launched Team Preterist, which you can watch a short video and read all about, as well as sign up, be on the network list, and be in the know, gives the address. There's also a YouTube video talking about building our team. You can watch following link. Tonight, there will be a live Team Preterist strategic conference call for information, the information will be attached to this email through a graphic. If you can, cannot call in, the call will be podcasted and sent to those on Team Preterist Network list. Also, it will be posted on the Power of Preterism blog. The, the strategic conference call will be aimed at explaining how Team Preterist seeks to bring forth clarity, healing, and strategy in regard to the Christian Preterist movement. May God be glorified through all we do. Team Preterist in Christ we trust. He signed his name. I share this with you because I want to show you how, I'm with all the best intentions, I'm sure. He's a great guy, loves the Lord, pastors the church, but how easy it is to institutionalize and organize your goals and your dreams and to compartmentalize a specific view. And uh, when Jesus and other believers are the whole thing here, Jesus and loving others. Positions are not going to do anything. They're not going to, there's not a movement that's going to save us. There's not a movement that's going to keep us together. In fact, movements will drive us apart. The power of preterism? The power of preterism? I, I mean, the power's in Christ. The power's in Him. Uh, team preterist, bringing forth clarity, healing, and strategy. It's, 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 a, it's, a, it's a formidable, it's attempted to be a formidable force to the Christian preterist movement. Uh, maybe without realizing it, team, this team, they don't realize they're automatically creating division. We, automatically. You can be a preterist. But I really think that if you are, you got to say, yeah, but I understand futurists have a good point of view too. We cannot, I, I mean, 
I am, I am strong in my beliefs, personal beliefs, but you, we've got to try to accept everybody's views. And when you start doing this, especially on social media, and you start then breaking it up in groups, are you part of Team Preterist? Well, we, it, it's just what has happened since Constantine. It's happened since Calvin. It's happened since Taz Russell. It's happened with Joseph Smith. It's happened with Joseph, uh, Campbell. All of it. Same thing. You get your group, you get your team, and you start saying, this is what we are about. And I really don't think that is, uh, is the way it should be when we read the Bible and Jesus' message of the good news. I'm going to use tonight to do something kind of interesting, and I'm going to actually make some admissions. And there's nothing fanciful about them, but I think they're going to be important to people in the future, certain segment of people. And I'm going to do it through our board of direction. Over the past month and a half, I have experienced uh, some real depression. Uh, normally not depressed, um, but pretty extreme, I got to tell you. Uh, and uh, it's taken a lot to get the work I normally get done easier, uh, to resist the apathy, to find encouragement in life. It's just been, it's been really heavy. And I've been, what the heck is wrong with me? I wondered, you know, I've been greatly blessed in a marriage and in family and, and financially and health-wise. And uh, so I'm like, what's up? And there was no prayer. There was no work that could drive this darkness away. And uh, so I'm trying to think, what is happening to me? Why am I in this mode? So after a couple of months, really, the clouds broke and it beca became kind of apparent to me of what was happening just the other day. And when it occurred to me, the clouds began to break. Uh, counter to the call of true Christianity, uh, all human beings are born to some extent with a great amount of ego. We're, we're pretty egocentric. And uh, it's self, 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 self. And in my particular fleshly makeup, uh, and I know I've said before, you know, I, I was really a sinner and everything, but I, I was really driven in my childhood, teen years, adult years, early adult years. Uh, I was really a narcissist. And uh, in modern psychology today, they would, I'm sure, after I've read up and studied on it, uh, I would be diagnosed as having what they call NPD, Narcissistic Personality Disorder, with antisocial behaviors and probably a combination of some pretty heavy psychosis. Now, you're thinking, why do I even listen to this guy? Well, you shouldn't when it comes to my flesh. And I've said that, and it's not just saying it. My family, my wife especially, some of my daughters, all of them probably, my parents, my brothers and sisters, they know, you know. And that might be why none of my brothers and sisters are Christian, because they knew me before and they just think I'm psycho still. Psychologists today say that this particular disorder is almost impossible to cure. Um, and it's partially because uh, narcissists can never be wrong. So you never ever can get to the root of a problem with them because they're always right. And I've learned about narcissism from the Greek uh, story of Narcissus and his codependent Echo, uh, the, the character of Echo. And narcissist the, began, it begins with narcissist is mean. And he does not respect or love anybody who loves him. 
And so Echo loves Narcissus, but he won't give her the time of day. And another Greek figure, fable figure, uh, named Nemesis sees this and she decides, I'm going to punish Narcissus. I'm going to have him look at his reflection in some water and he is going to fall in love with himself. And the whole idea was Narcissus started off not really feeling good about himself at all. And when he looked at his reflection, which has no soul, it has no substance at all, he falls in love with a counter personality that does not have anything about it. And so therefore, that counter personality that he then makes his own needs to constantly be fed. A narcissist has to constantly be fed with compliments and admiration and be in control. And it's really an ugly situation. So some of the traits people with narcissistic personality disorder, they say, and this is not exact, but they say is a grandiose sense of self-importance and a preoccupation with fantasies of unlimited success, fame, brilliance, beauty or love, a belief that they are special and unique and only special and unique people can relate to them. Um, they require, as I said, excessive admiration. There's never enough. They have a very strong sense of entitlement, so they break laws because the laws can't apply to them. They're unique. They're ex exploitative of others. They lack empathy. They, and I still battle with lacking empathy. Uh, and just bottom line, my flesh, I, I understand intellectually when people have problems and I feel for them in that way, but I do still have difficulty with empathy. They're very haughty in their behaviors, very controlling, and they always need to be right. They can never be wrong. So these are the way they kind of categorize somebody with narcissistic personality disorder. And add in the antisocial combination, and you might describe somebody uh, a man who has a childhood history of harming animals or lighting fires. Forget fires, man. The whole neighborhood was always aflame under my hands. And animals were always in danger and stealing, sure. Running away from home, high school truancy, a repeated history of lying, engaging in petty thefts, con games, frequent fights. I mean, as an adult male, Latter-day Saint, I got a middle daughter who saw, has seen me in dozens of street fights. That's how bad I was. So, you know, I've shown you a picture before, but I'm getting to this. And um, lots of entitlement, lots of breaking rules, and always not feeling like they're recognized for their genius, you know? And so there's a lack of empathy as a result. So they say there's no cure for this. And many agree that the perfect place for a, somebody who's a narcissist is in religion. And it really is. If you go and you look through the cults, you'll find that most of the cult leaders had a narcissistic personality disorder. They, they fit those things I just shared with you. Totally self-centered. So now I openly admit in my flesh here, I have nothing to hide. That was me. That is me if I let my flesh live and I try not to. Having said that, um, I know that the best in this world, the least narcissistic, the least selfless human being named Jesus saved the most, in my world at least, narcissistic, 
just not a good person. Even, and I was charming. You know, you use that stuff too. And while I agree that modern psychology, how they define it, I completely, and this is why I'm sharing it, disagree that it can't be cured. I, I absolutely disagree with it. At least manage to the point where the person becomes a respectable person in society and isn't out trampling on everybody else. And that solution is Jesus. Um, look at someone who possesses all the characteristics or some of the characteristics of uh, NPD and what we really have is the antithesis of Jesus. What we really have is a description of Satan, if you really want to think about it. A grandiose sense of self-importance. Didn't Satan want to become God? And a preoccupation with fantasies is unlimited success, power, brilliance, beauty, or love. Isn't that all that's in this world? A preoccupation with obtaining those things? A belief that they're special and unique, and isn't that pride, and isn't that haughtiness? They require excess admiration. Isn't that ego run amok? They have a strong sense of entitlement, meaning a disregard for others, meaning self, 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 self. Exploitative, they're predators. Lack empathy, they're heartless. Envious of others, they, they're, they're self-feeding predators. Controlling, isn't that what Satan is all about, is control? Control, control. And always needing to be right. Again, the height of uh, arrogance. So we know, as we look at these traits scripturally, that we're really talking about the epitome of self, flesh, the flesh. If this is the case, then the cure, the solution, the way a person can actually overcome themselves and these diabolical traits is to have the opposite of narcissism in them. And that's by the Spirit. And that's by the Lord Jesus Christ, God made flesh, God who walked among us, and how he did it as a human being. And you're born from above, and you learn to live according to the new man, the new creature, and you let the spirit reign over the flesh. And when this occurs, the exact opposite traits of your flesh start to present themselves in the narcissist. And then they start to abide. And then they start to thrive. And then they start to abound. And that overrides this template that may come from nurture, may come from nature, may come from choice. I, I don't really know. Because Christ is permitted to live within us. But here's the deal. When we come to Christ, and this is what I'm going to go to the board for. When you come to Christ, we are all still free to decide how, what kind of Christian we're going to be. And it's a minute-to-minute, day-to-day choice of how you're going to live your Christian life. And the way I see it, it comes down to looking like this. You kind of have three ouch options. And what those options are is all Christians, all people, all people at birth were all uh, egocentric, full of ego. We're narcissists to some extent or another. Maybe some a lot worse and others not. And then Christians become spiritually born from above, right? And then we have the constant choice, constant choice to kind of pursue our Christian walk. Um, and it doesn't ever leave you. And people think that, oh, you're a Christian. You're, it's, it's left you. It gets easier, but it doesn't. And so I, I think that some, they embrace 
religion. As a Christian, they've been spiritually reborn and they embrace religion. And they let men and women in religion define and direct them. And what they do is they transfer their narcissistic tendencies for fame and strength and power and control and order and all those things to the religion that they belong to. Well, I go to this church. Have you seen our new building? I do this. We do that. We feed 4,000 people every year. Uh, 700 people had meals at Thanksgiving because of our institution. The transfer of ego just goes straight to religion. And so it doesn't mean this person isn't reborn. and It doesn't mean they're not a Christian, but they haven't, as my daughter points out in a spot we're going to see in a minute, died outside the gates of the city. They're still in the city and they're letting the religion reign, right? The second way is that we retain ourselves, uh, but in Jesus' name. So this is what I did after I came out of Mormonism is, uh, and I think it probably is a process, is upon the principles of ego, and some narcissism, I was changing, but I implemented the same things that I was born with, but now I used it in Jesus' name. And so what I was pursuing was to build a ministry that was powerful and that had uh, fame and that would control. Now, it wasn't terrible. It was better. And it was about the self. I'm doing this. I'm doing that. It was me. And, uh, and maybe even hopes of some wealth to build up an empire, to be known and be seen. But this left me because of the Spirit, not because of me. And it leads us to the third thing that we have a, ch a chance to look for as Christians. And that is to totally die. To what? to this, to die to the ego, to die to those narcissistic tendencies that tell us we need to have the power, we need to have the fame, we need to have the ism, we need to have the team campus, the team get the Mormons. Uh, it, we need to, we die to this stuff. We don't care about the money. We don't care about the self. We don't care about the control. We give it to him, really. So we really are doing things in Jesus' name. And you accept the pain of your narcissistic self dying. Uh, you accept the death of your empires. You accept the death of the things that you thought were making you a really great Christian warrior. And uh, you embrace social marginalization. And it's painful as hell. It's so painful. So when that came to me, I realized that's why I was so effing depressed. It's because I was experiencing the pain of knowing that I had become, comparatively speaking, obsolete. And, but this is a good thing. It was realizing that once what I had around me in, in column two, once all that was around me, that empire created there were over, that it was dying, I was about to lose more of the narcissistic supply. That's what they call it. 
We all have a narcissistic supply that feeds us. And I was losing that. And I didn't realize the effect it was having on me. I was mourning over the death of my narcissistic self. I'm not alone in this. Uh, all followers of Christ are constantly given the chance to die and to let the narcissistic supply fade. But it's really hard. And it's hard because our flesh is warring against that spirit. Our flesh says, I want to be known. I want to be powerful. I want to be in control. I want to be wealthy. I want to be handsome. I want to be all these things that the narcissist loves. And when I understood this, the spirit broke me. And I realized there's no other choice. If you're a Christian, you don't have a choice. Uh, because that's what our king did. <laughs> a trillion times over compared to my little thing, a trillion times over. Within 24 hours, I was sitting and I was understanding why I was depressed and the loss of self and the dwindling of my narcissistic supply and that was causing me pain. And I was given a sign in living color. I could not have scripted this better of what happened to me to show, show me that I had discerned properly why I was depressed. I was working in a faster food joint nearby and two couples came in, an older couple and a younger couple with a baby. And they sat in a booth near me and um, several times the matriarch of that group, the older woman, kept getting up, getting a drink. She'd come back and she'd look at me. And I started thinking, oh, she knows me from, you know, the show. And uh, suddenly she says, I like your cross, I'm talking about this. And I, and I thanked her and she voluntarily launched into this thing about how their whole family at that table had left Mormonism. And I thought, oh, right up my alley, you know. And uh, did you catch that? I thought right up my alley. It's always there. It's always there. And she explained how she and her husband, he turned around and said hello at this point, had come out of the church. And then she started to tell me the problems within Mormonism. And it was a solid three minutes of her telling me about Mormonism. And, uh, and I kind of listened, and then I kind of welled up, and I thought, you know, I need to let her know. And I said, you know, I was LDS. And, but she didn't hear it. And she went on, do you know that uh, the LDS Church has been producing papers about their history and doctrine and telling us all about it? And I said, yeah, I knew that. And uh, then uh, I also added, you know, I'm L I was LDS. Well, and then she went in, well, Joseph Smith, he, was, he had many wives. Did you know that? And I continued to listen to her, and, and she was teaching me. And, and I realized, I have to, I have to just die to, to the thing I thought I was. So I'm listening, and I said, yeah, I've, I've heard that. And, and then she said, we've gone to so many Christian churches, and we just can't seem to find one that, that suits us or that, that we like. And I got all excited. I thought, I can tell you about something we're doing. And so I said, well, we have a church not too far from here, and we just, and she said, we've studied so much. Have you ever heard of Doris Hansen? And I said, yeah, I've heard of Doris Hansen. And she said, yeah, we've learned so much from her. How about Bishop Earl? Do you know who that is? I said, yeah. I said, Bishop Earl comes to our church. Didn't hear it. Didn't, didn't hear me. I didn't exist. I was this tattooed guy, dressed badly, because I dressed really badly. And that's what I was. I didn't have any say. I had no voice. I had nothing to share with her because she couldn't even hear it. I said, Bishop Earl comes to our church. 
she told me that I should read their stuff. And then she asked me if I knew Sandra Tanner and if I'd heard of the Higleys and I should go see this couple speak because it's so good. And, and she returned to her complaints about not being able to find a church. And after a while, she turned back. She apologized for bothering us. And, and I got two copies out, A to Z and Born Again Mormon. And I, I, and I reached over and I said, here, why don't you guys try these? And she took them. She, just, she didn't look at them. She just took them. And she said, have you heard of Dave Bartosowitz? And I said, I have heard of Dave Bartosowitz. I know. And I didn't even say I know her. And she ran it, and, and it was in living color, complete and total marginalization of something I thought I was that does not matter. It doesn't matter in my relationship with the king. What matters is that I die fully to who I am in my flesh, and I walk with who he wants me to be in his spirit. And so I, you, when you witness that narcissistic supply fading, it's a painful fading of the ego. And especially the last vestiges of uh, ego that was formed on something you thought was glorious. Not alone in, in being uh, dying to the narcissistic supply. Uh, we all have to do it as we follow the king. Uh, and if you look, Isaiah did it, Jeremiah did it, Ezekiel did it, uh, David did it. And then, of course, John the Baptist, he, he did it in spades and lost his head uh, to the point where he even said, are you the one? I mean, that, it's a brutal thing. Every one of the apostles did it. And, of course, our king, like Cassidy pointed out in that spot, he did it. If you feel marginalized, if you feel like you are not living up to your potential, not being used, not being recognized to the full extent. No, God knows your heart. No, he knows exactly who you are, how he is using you. Uh, one drop in the bucket or filling a swimming pool with your works, it's all the same. You give what you give according to the spirit. It doesn't matter. Allow yourself to do what he did, what they did before us, and you'll grow in the spirit, uh, painful as it might be. We have some calls. I can't see. They're not coming up on the screen. Wendy? Who is it? Daniel, tell Daniel I'll have to take him next week. I'm going to wrap the show up. I'm on a ride Going nowhere I am an Existential cowboy on the wind And I won't be coming out I'm going in This man's awake A storm's arising The dawn's awaiting Till a hundred months I can feel the light